Today in Business from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy to use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60 day trial at shipstation.com slash tech news. That's shipstation.com slash tech news. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't outtrain her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number, I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. Palo Alto Networks has the broadest, most comprehensive cybersecurity for private cloud, public cloud, and SaaS environments because secure clouds are happy clouds. Protect yours today at go.paloaltonetworks.com slash secure clouds. A laptop ban leaves everyone scared and no one safer by Zachary Carabell. After this weekend's attacks in London, President Trump became embroiled in a spat with the city's mayor, where the president criticized British authorities for not taking the threat of terrorism seriously enough. In its crude way, that confrontation underscored a deeper divide between the United States and much of the rest of the world over what taking terrorism seriously means. For weeks before these most recent attacks, U.S. and European officials have been locked in a debate about whether to ban laptops from airline passengers' carry ons. In multiple interviews, Homeland Security Chief John Kelly has alluded to credible threats picked up by U.S. intelligence that ISIS or other groups have developed a technology that would allow for a bomb small enough to fit in a functional laptop, and that as a result, he was considering a ban on some flights originating from Europe to the United States or possibly all international flights in and out of the U.S. There's a real threat, numerous threats against aviation, Kelly told Fox News. That's really the thing they're obsessed with, the terrorists. The idea of knocking down an airplane in flight, particularly if it's a U.S. carrier, particularly if it's full of mostly U.S. folks. Having already banned laptops and tablets from carry on luggage on flights originating from several Middle East airports, Kelly has been weighing whether to vastly expand that ban. European security and aviation officials vehemently oppose the idea. But the disagreement over laptops obscures the bigger conflict. 
At heart, it exposes a dramatic difference in attitudes about safety and security. While the Europeans see larger questions of costs and benefits in play, the United States leans towards a zero-tolerance approach to threats that is unrealistic and costly. In the rush to fetishize airplane attacks above all else, America's distorted perception of risk ultimately leaves everyone more scared and no safer. As it became clear that the U.S. was contemplating a widespread ban that would require storing laptops in the cargo hold, European officials reacted. While no one has publicly disputed the possible threat posed by explosives embedded in laptops, EU aviation officials and intelligence groups have taken a substantially different approach. First, they've focused on the possibility that hundreds of electronic devices in a baggage hold could be a severe fire hazard should the lithium-ion batteries in those devices catch fire. That echoes similar concerns voiced by the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration last year and follows several incidents of batteries catching fire during passenger flights in 2016, as well as on several cargo planes in recent years. If any reminder of that risk was needed, just this week a JetBlue flight made an emergency landing in Grand Rapids, Michigan after a lithium battery ignited in a passenger's backpack. The EU argued that it was unwise to exchange one risk, a terrorist with a laptop or tablet bomb detonating it in flight, for another, a batch of batteries catching fire in a cargo hold and bringing down a plane, especially when the risk of the latter is known and has actually happened, while the former is speculative. Beyond that specific trade-off, the EU has taken a more holistic view of risks, threats, and costs. The risk of a laptop bomb is real, but so are the equivalent risks of a lithium battery fire in a cargo hold. Both bring down a plane. Those are not the only considerations. Is the threat immediate and substantial enough to justify the upending of travel, tourism, and global connectivity and thereby cost untold billions in actual economic losses? Do you disrupt the ebb and flow of people worldwide because of draconian security and a heightened climate of fear? One response is that the lost lives from one downed airplane by far trump those costs. But the EU response to the same intelligence is that the answer isn't so obvious. Yes, preventing a bomb on an airplane ranks as a first-order priority for all nations. No one disputes that. What is at dispute is how far authorities should go to disrupt travel to protect against possible threats. The EU position is that absent a more tangible threat, the disruptions are too costly. The U.S. position appears to be that any tangible threat can merit any disruption. That's been part of the American mindset for some time, but it seems to have received new license in the first months of the Trump administration. At any given time, there are a lattice of potential threats. Absent a state of martial law, vastly curtailed freedoms, or much better surveillance and scanning technology, it's impossible to inoculate against those completely. Yes, the example of Israel is often invoked, with its embrace of targeted screenings based on profiling, as well as a more attuned citizenry ready to react to anything that may be only a whiff out of a perceived norm. 
But that takes a societal shift and a consensus toward security which is impossible to mandate by simply passing new laws or establishing new protocols. Intelligence agencies are tasked with identifying threats, and they are often extremely good at that. The United States spends tens of billions of dollars annually to hone its information gathering and analysis. But what one does with that information falls in the realm of policy, and there, since 9-11 and increasing steadily since, the U.S. has taken a zero-tolerance stance towards attacks that leads directly to our muddled and often extreme reactions to threats against airplanes. It's certainly accurate, as Secretary Kelly remarked, that since 9-11, groups such as ISIS have had an obsession with bringing down commercial airliners packed with Westerners. Investigators suspect a computer bomb downed an Egypt air flight in 2015, but that has yet to be confirmed officially. In response, the United States has developed a similar obsession. That has led to the now familiar screening at airports, the ritual partial disrobing, the neat packaging of mini-bottles, and a slew of safe traveler programs for those willing to register their fingerprints and vital details in return for less intensive scrutiny. Having traveled widely in the past decade-plus, I know that every airport in the world has adopted some, if not all, of those protocols. But nowhere in the world is airport security such an awkward blend of rigorous and seemingly arbitrary as in the United States. Many have dubbed the American approach security theater because while it does reduce the likelihood of a bomb carried by an individual onto a plane, it does nothing to reduce what would seem equal threats such as someone aiming a rocket launcher at landing aircraft. And officials have only recently addressed greater threats by turning an eye to railroad cars and shipping containers. Airplanes, however, have a unique place stemming from 9-11. Going to the maximum degree to reduce to nearly zero the chance of a plane being brought down by an act of terrorism is appealingly simple. But as the EU's less extreme response to the same threat shows, the aspiration to perfect safety doesn't carry a measurable safety advantage. At the same time, it has the potential to cause greater harm through damage to society and to people's lives and livelihood. Those harms, lost jobs for instance, if tourism is reduced substantially, are not immaterial. In the U.S., social scientists and political pundits alike have zeroed in on the link between economic devastation and higher mortality in communities across the country. Are those fatalities caused in part by economic dislocations any less fatal because they happen less violently than terrorism? It wasn't always that way. Throughout the late 1960s and 70s, plane hijackings were surprisingly common around the world, with 160 American airplanes hijacked between 1961 and 1973, many by Cubans. That did not lead to mass fear or hysteria, though it did lead to metal detectors being installed at airports. It's hard to fathom today how blasé society was then about hijackings. But it is a reminder how far down the path of fear we have come. After 9-11, there was a gallows humor to travel, as many quipped that soon we would all be flying naked and hungry. But hey, at least we'd be safe. We have not reached that nadir, not yet, but it seems more credible than ever.
I once had a professor who sagely observed that perfect security exists only in the grave and maximum security prisons, and we wouldn't want to live in either. The American response to threats, as exemplified in the recent dispute over what to do about possible laptop bombs, highlights that dilemma. Americans demand safety, and the U.S. government responds by trying to prevent any incident, even as the related costs escalate. The EU, which has confronted many more attacks in recent years, no more tolerates those threats, but its officials, and to a large extent its citizens, more intuitively grasp that trade-offs matter and that not all threats demand drastic response. The laptop ban is not a world-changing issue, but the radically different responses from the United States and the European Union demonstrate that the U.S. has not found a balance that allows a more holistic understanding of threats and costs. And without that balance, we will continue to overreact to threats and underestimate the costs, made no safer in the process, but paying the price nonetheless. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.